Igor Shosturkin is pretty damn good, huh? The Rangers goalie has been outstanding, leading the Blue Shirts to two straight wins in Canada. We'll talk about the job he's done with a former Rangers goalie and MSG Network analyst, Steve Valaket. So join us on the first win streak edition of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support. Well, a very special guest coming on next week. You might know him very well. Stay tuned for that on Twitter, and uh, we'll let you know which Rangers legend will be joining Up in the Blue Seats next week. But joining us this week on the program, we have a very fun interview with the great Steve Valaket of MSG Network, former Rangers goalie. We'll talk to him about his interactions with Hank on the air and his suit game, of course. So you got to stay tuned for that. And, of course, Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer for the New York Post, Larry Brooks, will stop by. But now let's welcome in your host of Up in the Blue Seats. That would be the queen of the New York Post, our own Molly Walker and her co-host, Rangers great, number 10, Ron Well, uh, hello, everyone. Yes, I have a level of excitement today. We get to talk Rangers and Rangers back-to-back out of Canada, oh, Canada, in Montreal, in Toronto, which brings back fond memories for me. But the fact that the Rangers are winning, Shesterkin is looking really good. There's hope for this team as we talk about can they make the playoffs. They're off to a good start. Yes, it's not perfect, but my goodness, it looks good. So lots to talk about today. And my guest is a friend of mine who I'm working with, who I've worked with in the past, Steve Ellicott and MSG. We're going to talk goaltending and we're going to talk him and his relationship with Henrik Lundqvist and the great yes Brooksy will be here with us but now let me make a mention about something that I heard about yesterday and it's a a friend of mine a friend to the show and friend of many especially if you're an Islander fan uh, Mike Bossy who uh, made an announcement yesterday he's dealing with lung cancer so our thoughts and prayers go to Mike Bossy Quick Hilling is a good man. Not only did I get to know him on the ice, but I've got to know him off the ice. So he's a good man. Wish him well. So right now, on a positive note, let's get Molly Walker. Molly, I'm anxious to hear about your stay in Montreal. And if Toronto, of course, but Montreal, of all places, was my favorite place to go. What was it like for you to be in Montreal on a home opener? Well, I'll tell you, the only time I ever went to Montreal was my freshman year of college for a fraternity formal. So I didn't do much sightseeing during that time. So getting to go there for work and actually being sober, it was <laughs> it was nice to see the great city of Montreal. So I, I loved it. And I'll tell you, Bell Center, it was the opening night when the Rangers were there, and it was the first sold-out crowd at Bell Center since before the pandemic, and the place was just electric. Every single hair on my body was standing straight up with the whole arena singing the Canadian National Anthem, and when they were introducing their team, and, and Carey Price didn't even play, but when they said announced his name on the loudspeaker, I thought my eardrums were going to blow 
blowout. It, it was just an unbelievable experience, and, and I can't wait to go back. I don't think they go back this season, unfortunately, but Bell Center was really just what an experience. I can't even imagine what it was like to be a player there. As a Canadian, I grew up uh, watching Montreal, watching Toronto. So for me to be able to go play with that first time, it's the history of the building. Those who have won all those Stanley Cups. Absolutely. Uh, and one of them, you know, being Guy Lafleur, and I got to play against some of those guys. But just being in a building, it was a dream come true for me. So, and you have to kind of put that aside. When you step on the ice, you still have to be a player and you still have to go out and play. But it's funny that you say how the place was electric. Back then, yes, there was a certain amount of noise with the uh, Montreal Canadian fans, but they were sit there very polite, very knowledgeable, but <laughs> more polite than anything else. It wasn't like he, I would be hearing people chirping at me. Yeah. None of that. I'd have to go to Philadelphia for something like that. But Montreal, very, very polite. And so it was always very pleasant to be there with all the history of being in Montreal. Canadians uh, are too nice. And then, of course, Alexi Lafreniere getting the homecoming goal. And I'll tell you, a, a couple of the other beat writers warned me before we got to morning skate. They were like, oh, you've never covered a hockey game in Montreal. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? And we walked up to where we were going to do interviews and there was so many people. I was like, compared to New York, there's there's like four or five of us in the room. And that includes like Sam Rosen and, and Joe Micheletti and then three other beat writers. So there were so many media members there. And, and so Lafreniere had a huge scrum. And then he goes out and, and wins the game, has the game winner. So we talked to him again after the game. And I'll tell you, he was smiling from ear to ear the entire. I don't think the smile left his face after after that goal. It was awesome. So what do you think that does for him? moving forward to having that type of game and playing with Zibinijad. He's got an excellent sentiment. He's going to get the puck. What, what do you think that does for him moving forward? Because a lot is expected out of this young man. Absolutely. And, and you know, he talked about how he had been waiting to play at Bell Center for so long, because obviously last season with the realigned divisions and the all-Canadian division, the Rangers hadn't been to Canada since the 2019-20 bubble playoffs. And we all remember how that went down. And, and of course, they wanted to rewrite the history there and try to forget that. So he just talked about that he had been waiting for it. So to finally get that opportunity and to almost get it out of the way too, because it, obviously when you're the first overall pick, I can't even imagine the pressure that comes with that. And you could see how many media people were there to talk to him about it. And he took so many questions in French. So he, he's a big deal over there. So I think it also went over well for him to get it out of the way and also make headlines in the process. And it definitely does a lot for his confidence. And I asked him, I was like, do you think you're going to stop smiling in the next 24 hours? And he was like, I don't know. I don't think so. He, he was just ear to ear. Yeah. So we're going to have Larry uh, coming on here soon and, and Steve Veliquette. What's on your mind? What is it that you think that you want to talk to those guys about with especially with Larry <laughs> what about just jerkin <laughs> well yeah I mean uh, what what's on your mind what are you going to ask Larry I think probably the biggest storyline right now is is how Igor Shostakin played against the Canadians and and the Maple Leafs he was absolutely outstanding the thing is, and, and I did catch some flack on, uh, on Twitter for, uh, <laughs> my, my article in Wednesday's paper. But if you want all rainbows and butterflies, you should go elsewhere because I, I'm just going to tell it how, like I see it always. And Chesterkin is great. And that's not a fact to dispute, but the Rangers are playing a lineup right now with Ryan Strom and Capo Caco out right now that is a skeleton of itself. And the fact that they got a, out of those two Canadian games with two wins, 
is a testament to Igor Shishchurkin. And the question is, is if that is sustainable. Now, the Rangers have relied on a goaltender in the past before with Henrik Lundqvist, and Lundqvist bailed them out of one too many games during his 15-year tenure. And there's no question that Shishchurkin may be able to do the same thing. But at the end of the day, the Rangers need to not rely on that. The Rangers can't use that as a fallback for another decade or whatever it is for Shisterkin being the face of the franchise if he does end up rising to that sort of level. It's just not sustainable in my eyes, so I'm always going to call it how I see it, no matter if I get some crap for it. Because yes, two wins, very exciting, but you just can't always rely on your goaltender. It's just not a sustainable situation, but maybe we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, well, speaking of goaltenders, we're going to have Steve on here shortly. We have to ask him, what's it like working with this uh, former teammate and Henrik Lundqvist and I got to ask him about the clothing thing because I used to always give it to Steve because he would show up with clothes that didn't even look like it fit him off colors I'm like Steve you got (laughs) to kick it up a notch and so what's it like for him now working with Lundqvist and and uh, before we get into speaking to them I have to make a mention a friend of the show a friend of mine Mike Keenan it's his birthday on the 21st So once I'm done here, I'm heading to New York, and I am excited. I'm going to the Knicks game, which I'm going to see. Jake here is going to be there. And so I'm looking forward to that. Up in the blue seats. They'll be courtside, and I'll be up in the blue seats. (laughs) And so Mike Keenan is going to be to New York. So I'm off to to New York. I'm going to have some fun tonight. And, Ron, I know you've also requested the – they make the desk a little bit bigger at MSG. Maybe maybe fit you in there as well, right? Well, you know, I'm watching the show. And what's missing? There's something missing. You have two goaltenders, right? (laughs) I mean, I like goaltenders and their analytics, but we need a different opinion from a different era. And I would look good right between those two. So, yeah, build the desk a little bit bigger, and I think it'd be good for me to get back in there. I'll tell you, that's what my mom wants, that's for sure. As much as my mom loves Henrik Lundqvist, and and she said that he was great to look at while he's been on the show, but she's specifically said, I still think Ron should should be there. <laughs> what is that? I'm getting a call. Oh, MSG has hired Wendy as uh, their uh, decision maker, and Wendy has decided Ron Duguay will return. Well, Ron's old partner, Steve Valquette, who is now on MSG, is joining us next here on Up in the Blue Seats. Our next guest is a familiar face on MSG Network, pre- and post-game shows for the Rangers, a former goaltender of the team, and after Igor Shishjurkin's performance the other day, well, we just had to have him on. Please welcome friend of the show, Steve Valiquette. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you? Great, Molly. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk goaltending. Let's get excited about goaltending in New York. <laughs> We're always excited about goaltending in New York. And and I guess I have to start by asking, is there room for two goalie analysts on MSG? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I like I said on the opening show, I know my role. Okay? <laughs> and uh, I don't mind taking a back seat for Henrik when he's visiting us. He's been terrific to work with. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air. It's like being back in the locker room. We have a lot of history together, a lot of good laughs, but I have to say a lot of that comes from the level of respect I have for him. Of course. And uh, I I just got to know, how long were you planning to say that? I've about just jerking. (laughs) You've never seen a better goaltending sequence in New York. Was that in your back pocket? Were you ready to break that out whenever you could? Believe me, I've got a few more up my sleeve, Molly. I do some work. I'm in my lab right now, actually. I'm working on my dry erase board to my left here. Uh, the, lots of material 
material there. It's going to be fun because, as dudes will tell you, there's no bigger laughs than in the locker room. And if you can bring those laughs onto the television, it's always going to be helpful. You and I working together, I think I put a little pressure on you on the clothing aspect of how you looked. (laughs) And so now with Henrik there, do you feel the pressure of looking a certain way or you're going to just be you? It's getting expensive, okay? (laughs) This is embarrassing to tell you guys, but I'm dead serious, right? I know on Monday he's coming on. On Sunday I'm shopping. All right. <laughs> getting got, a haircut. Hey, dudes, the best part is I'm still getting chirped for what I'm wearing. Now, here's, here's, my lineup. here's my lineup the other night. I've got Ferragamo loafers on. I've got an Hermes belt, Ferragamo tie, a Ford suit. Like, I am dialed in. And I got people online chirping me for what I'm wearing. This is everything I got. This is the best I've got. You got to be kidding me. I can't keep up to that. He's in a three-piece suit next to <laughs> Is it intimidating? He's so handsome. Like, is it intimidating just looking over at him? Like, God damn, he looks good. Yeah, Michael K was chirping me about that when we were doing a segment before the first game. And I was like, look, Giannone's got the bronze. Hank's got the gold. We know that. I don't mind lining up with the silver. Well, let's get into goaltending because that's where you specialize in. And Shesterkin, playing the way he is, which was, I guess, expected. We're seeing it now. And so my thought is this. After watching Georgiev play, and I know he's had his struggles, not to be picking on him, but I know Gallant, Coach Gallant mentioned that he likes goaltenders to take nights off when it comes to -to back-to-back. So Knowing what we know about Sisterkin, and it's going to be a dogfight to make the playoffs, do you think Sisterkin is going to get a large bulk of the games? I think we won't see that, Dukes, until we get into the last set of 25. Because if I go back to my experience with Henrik, I didn't touch the ice in the last 25 games, right? Because we were in a dogfight right until the bitter end just to sneak in. And when you look at Sisterkin right now, you, you go past because the only predictor for future performance is past performance. And we also have to look at the injuries, right? There's three separate times he's left the crease for a groin issue. So if I'm the coaching staff, I don't want to unravel my plan for the season by splitting them up on the back-to-backs in the first back-to-back of the season. I don't want to risk it. You know what you have in him mentally. You know what you have in him technically, it's always going to be a question mark physically if any goaltender can take the grind of starting 60, 65 times. I, I think the plan for him, Shosturkin is, from the coaching staff, from management, you're not playing back-to-backs. We're going to have to live with it. And then when we get into the final 25, if we are tight, if we are only in by a little or out by a little, you'll see him start to play those back-to-backs just to get the team in. So how would you describe him as a goaltender with what we saw the last sequence in the overtime, the last, I think, 30 or 40 seconds, where he comes out of his net, plays the puck. Now he has to make a stop as he's going backwards. Everything that you saw in him there, that sequence, how do you describe him as a goaltender? It's a great question. And it goes through almost the way that the passing of the guard has really happened in goaltending. When I was a teenager, Quebec dominated. It was inspired by Patrick Waugh. Then we saw the Finns dominate for a short time because of the success of Mika Kiprasov. 
And we saw the success of Pecorine. We also saw Henrik Lundqvist come in and inspire Swedes for a very long time. Then you see Bobrovsky, Vasilevsky, a lot of the top Russian goalies have inspired the best athletes in Russia to play goal. They choose to play goal now. And the best goalies in the world in the NHL are coming out of Russia, one after another. And a big component of that is going back to the Tarasov days and the Trechak days where skating was first and foremost. They are skating more. Dukes, I played there for two years. You're on the ice with your goalie coach for an hour. The team comes on the ice, only half of the team. You skate for an hour with them. The second half of the team comes out for an hour, and you have evening practice. That's a typical day in Russia, all right? And it's, it's more than I wanted as a North American goalie to be over there. But you can see how long they skate, dudes, and how much work they put in. Now, here's what you get. Shesterkin. Now I'm going to talk analytics a little bit, but it's not difficult analytics. It's just watching the games. He had 38 breakaways last year. He only allowed five goals. All right? Shesterkin was the best goalie in save percentage on breakaways in the NHL last year. 46 rebound chances he faced last year. He only gave up three goals. He's the best goalie in save percentage on rebounds. What did we see in that sequence in overtime? We saw him get out of position a little bit, backpedal. A little bit. (laughs) But not for him. Right, Right, no, it's I know. He goes out of the net. Completely under control. The way that he skated backwards speaks to how strong he is on breakaways in the NHL. Back in a position, okay, fine. The play scrambles to his right. He gets two pushes with his head over his leading knee and gets across there like he's on a magic carpet. This is not typical. I was on the ice this morning at 6 o'clock with a prep school goalie. You have to do so much work from so early on to get these guys to that level of skating that you can't even imagine the amount of hours that he's put in that nobody else has put in to be able to skate that way. His edge work is elite. But again, it shows in his numbers. Nobody scrambles better than him. Nobody's better on breakaways. And a lot of times, two of those skill sets, they're going to show up in the same sequence like they did in overtime against the Leafs. I wanted to ask you about Igor's showmanship. We had KHL reporter Jillian Kemmerer on in the past to compare Shisterkin and Sorokin. And one of the things she pointed out was Igor's showmanship. And once she said that, it's something that I just started paying attention to. And it is so apparent. And I, I just, what goes into that as a goaltender? Referring to last year when he came off the ice and he gave the uh, clutch to Panarin. Yeah. And he, mean, he did the kick the other night, right? When yes, but the- also like on the ice, just the way his, you know, some, some of the times he'll make a save and he'll make it into a windmill save, but you know that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to do that. Just he performs like he performs on the ice. It is a pleasure to watch. That's that's great. So yeah, the, the sequences I'm talking about when the game's over, he's still having fun. But yes, what you're saying is uh, the glove save that he made in the first period, and uh, he goes into a split. Right, a lot of goalies when the play is in tight, you're just dropping your glove so it's on top of your pad when you go into the butterfly. So a big what we call windmill save is one that actually gets into the glove low, but you just throw it up with a lot of right? sauce Right? Make it look really cool. Yeah, like, yeah. A zazazoo. Well, it's so different than being on the dance floor, right, dude? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm on the dance floor with some extra pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. I wish you, I wish this was on video to just see the dance moves that Steve right. Valquette just did for we us. Are, we're always in the entertainment business when you're a part of the goalie union and it doesn't stop when you get off the ice. I'm just telling you right now, I bet you the kid's a great dancer. He's having a lot of fun. And you know what, Molly? When I see him do that, to me, that's what confidence looks like. You do that when you have so much confidence that you're like, I don't even, I don't even care what the other team thinks when I throw this thing over my head extra. And you know what? It happens sometimes too. And dudes, you'll like this one. My first game in Atlanta, Ray Ferraro was playing for the Atlanta Thrashers. They had only won 14 games all season. It's the end of the year. It's my first start in the NHL. And I was putting like that shesterkin zest on every save. And Ferraro skates over to me. He goes, Valcat, you do that again, I'm going to rip your head off and shove my stick down your throat. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, my God, Ray Ferraro just chirped me. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's sort of one of those things where, like, when you're really having fun out there, you don't care. And I just kept doing it. And I, I risked actually having my head ripped off, but I just kept doing it. And um, I was having fun. Shesterkin's having fun. And it has a certain look to it. Yeah, so Molly, talking about having fun. So Steve and I, we've gone out a few times. Oh, boy. <laughs> are we going to go down? Are we pivoting? Are well, we pivoting? We're, no, no, we're not. We're still on the dance floor right now. And he could do his moves. I do my move. But the one thing that he has on me, he can still do the splits. Oh, he will, my God. <laughs> he'll go down and do a Don Travolta and down on the splits. And I'm like, oh, okay, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's how he's going to do the Gomer. Gomer, Scott Gomez would be on the dance floor. He'd be just going like this. He's just warming up. I'm like, are you going to start dancing or what? He's like, I'm ah, just warming up. I'm just warm. I'm like, yes, 3 a.m. We're warm. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, love to, I love to do it all. I think it's a big part of uh, the personality of being a goalie. Yeah. Well, let's get back on the ice. As, <laughs> I got to ask you, as a goaltender, and I know that goaltenders make good analysts. They make good coaches. They make good coaches also. Because as goaltenders, you're back behind the play and you're analyzing constantly, especially defensemen. So I'm asking you, Steve, Keandre Miller is a player that I really like. I mean, this kid has got it all. He's got the speed. He manages the puck well. There's a calmness to him. What are you seeing in him as an analyst? How do you analyze his game now from last year to this year or what you're seeing in the future out of Keandre Miller? Uh, for Miller, I think I just want to see him take one more step now. You know, it's, it's when you see a player that has everything – He's got the physical tools. It seems like he has the hockey sense. He's got the range and the ability to defend. I want to see him take one more step, add a few more things to his game, more like the way Lindgren has. Lindgren came up and, you know, he was willing to play the same way that he was playing in college and in the American Hockey League. But then, you know, he had the fighting. He had a little more hitting. He had a little more physicality. Right now, Keandre Miller can add those things. And I think it's just so important, dudes. We, we worked together a long time. How many people did we see come through this lineup that just wasn't willing to add? Like, just add a few more. I want to see a little more, you know, stinky glove in somebody's face in a, in a, in a line rush that ends up with a scrum next to your net because you defended hard and then you put him out. And I think he can add that still because I know those other elements are going to be there, but you know, what's going to happen, dudes, he'll get a little more room when he plays a little nastier. You just get a little more room and you get a little more respect out there. 
And with the lineup beefed up the way it is, he could play a little bigger right now. So I'm just looking for that. If he adds that, then we're talking about another level for him. Oh, absolutely. I'm agreeing with you. I didn't know that that's what you're going to share with me, but absolutely. I, I, he's a big guy. And I'm seeing a little more, though. There's a little scrum, and he's grabbing, at least grabbing guys out of a scrum. He's willing to get engaged a little bit more. It wouldn't be the worst thing for him to drop the gloves one time and just give it a try. Pick on a smaller guy. I don't care whatever you do, but I think he is forced to do it a little more now with Coach Gallant, like if someone's in trouble, if you're not in there getting involved, you're going to be, you're going to hear it from Gerard Gallant. So we're seeing a little bit more. I just need, I believe what you're saying is, because how many times, I said this last year, how many times did you see him kind of engage with a player in front of a net? Because when you're a defenseman, you're chopping guys. And if you're doing it enough, some guy's going to get in your face. How often do you see anyone go after him? Yeah, not see, not enough, right? And, and not enough. I know that I was I'm a goalie, right? So I'm not telling guys how to play tough out there. However, I can give you my perspective, which was from the time I was in junior all the way to the pros. If somebody's parking the bus in front of the net on me and trying to screen me, I'm going to take my stick and I'm inside your leg, in your knee, undercarriage. I'm going to smack. I'm I'm a, I'm a jerk on the ice. Sorry, I'm trying to win, but you're allowed to be a jerk on the ice. It's like saying nicest civilian off the ice, a really nice person, put the helmet on, put the mask on. You can be whoever you want to be out there. Now, sometimes it would get me into trouble because I'd have to see people in the summertime that I really whacked. Well, you know what? I had more room out there. I started seeing over people with a little more space because they didn't want to get in tight on me. And again, you just get yourself into a position to give yourself a little more room and a little more space to play when you act a little nasty. It's almost like a fake it till you make it thing too. Even if you're not nasty, just fake it, man. Just jab them and get in there and just create a little more space for yourself. You know what's going to happen, dudes, is a guy like Miller, he'll have a few more seconds to make a play when he pedals back to retrieve the puck out of the corner. And that forecheck was coming hard in Toronto because they were fearless. Toronto was. I don't think that they were worried about any of the Rangers defensemen running them through the wall. So they were in on them. And that forecheck was killing the Rangers. They were able to escape, but you don't want to play that way all season. People are excited about this team. And and I guess from what we've seen, was just Sturkin playing the way he has. Ranger fans are hopeful that this team can make the playoffs. What are your thoughts, your overall thoughts on what you're seeing right now? If they stay healthy and Shesterkin plays the way he does, do you think that the Rangers are capable of making the playoffs? Absolutely, because look, I guess we can back up and say, let's start with the players, right? I still feel like they have enough offense, even after le- losing Bushnevich and right now Kako and Strom out. That's going to happen on everybody's team at some point. I mean, look at Pittsburgh, you know, Sid's out, Malkin's out. Does that mean they're out? Do you want to get bet against Pittsburgh? They've made the playoffs, I believe, 15 years in a row. But with the Rangers, if you're going to say that you've got Fox playing better than he even played last year as he won a Norris Trophy, to me, he looks like he's better every game. I don't even know how you can say that, but it looks that way to me. And then you've got Panarin, who was in a Hart Trophy a couple of seasons ago. He could easily be in one again. He doesn't have primary assists this year because guys have not finished for him. Oh, my goodness. Watch all the passes that Panarin's made. He's had 13 this year that have led to scoring chances. Nobody scored. His points are going to start coming. He should have seven points. He has four right now. And then you look at Zibanejad, center ice. He's a finisher. He's still getting his chances. So on the offensive side, with support from the D, they're fine. To me, they're fine. They're going to have enough goals in the lineup as they go through the long season. What concerns me is defensively, and specifically off the rush. I've seen it now for three coaches, okay? I've seen it with Gallant. Now it's very early. 
But with Quinn and before that, Vino, this team is always 27th to 31st. And this year it could be a 32, but they're always in that range in chances against off the rush. And man, guys, I can tell you from a goalie's perspective, those are the toughest chances to face. They're the toughest chances to collect the puck and regroup in your own zone from. There's secondary chances. There's the broken plays. Every team that finishes in the bottom 10 in the chances against off the rush, those really good ones, the high danger chances, those teams never make it. They don't make the playoffs, and they have no shot of uh, taking a run. So there's nothing that overrides that. Right now, we're only four games in, right? Let's just call it a week. They're in 27th in the league in chances against off the rush. The game in Toronto certainly didn't help. But, guys, I'm just telling you, it's, it's not sustainable. They've got to clean up their game off the rush. In zone, their defensive uh, zone structure really improved last year. It's holding still. It's okay. They're okay. Their penalty kill is okay. Even though the four goals in the first two games, I thought that was a one-off because all four were broken plays, and they've killed the last six. But my concern is is really with that off-the-rush play. They've got to be better. Steve Valaket, former Rangers goalie, MSG pregame, postgame, intermission analyst on MSG Network. He's also the CEO of ClearSight Analytics. You can follow him on Twitter, at Valley's View. Valley, we're looking forward to having you back on later in the season and getting more check-ins on your suit game and your uh, Henrik talking smack game later in the season as well. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Great to see you, Molly. Dukes, have a great one, guys. Thank you. Joining us as he always does on Up in the Blue Seats is our Hockey Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer at the Post, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Make sure you subscribe to Post Sports Plus to read more from Larry and interact with the both of us. Get your free 30-day trial now. Go to NYPost slash Sports Plus. So Larry, what have you been up to in Nashville this nice trip that you stole from me? (laughs) Well, if, if you want to switch places, I had uh, I ordered in from Grubhub last night. So, oh, but I did, Larry! But, but I did have, but I no, no, but I did have a, I, I did have a fairly nice meal. Sorry to disappoint both you and the audience. Yeah, my gosh, everyone's going to be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's in Nashville for an extra day, and you said, no. oh, that's all right, it's all right, we'll forgive you. <laughs> no, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up tonight. I'll catch up tonight. <laughs> Perfect. So I guess I think we have to start off with Igor Shostakin. Obviously, huge performances from him against the Canadians and Maple Leafs. What's going through your head watching him in those games? You know, particularly that overtime sequence. I mean, I don't know what it looked like on TV, but in person, I can tell you it was absurd. It was chaos. Obviously, it was the best kind of chaos. What's gone through my mind watching Shostakin the last two games is that this is the goalie the Rangers always thought they were going to have. Maybe that was unrealistic in a sense because for a very long time the Rangers and the Ranger fan base expected a seamless transition from one franchise goalie who was a franchise goalie for 15 years Henrik Lundqvist to another franchise goalie who had never played a game in North America and that's Igor Shesterkin. The way Shesterkin energized the Rangers when he was called up back in January of 2020, right? Yep. 1920 was the pause year, right? They took off, let's not kid ourselves, because of, of the energy that Shesterkin injected into the team that year. They were a different team. They were 18 and 8. 
him after he came up in, his, in, in their first 26 games. He changed the dynamic. He played with a tremendous amount of confidence. But more than that, he played with a great deal of flair, and he elevated the team. And last year was just a, you know, a different kind of year for everyone. You know, <laughs> you don't know what kind of offseason training players had before last season, and it was difficult. And I thought while he certainly had a good rookie season, it wasn't quite the same. You know, he wasn't quite the same as he was the year before. He was, he was a little below what they needed last year. This is what they need. You know, the Rangers are a, a marginal playoff team. They're on the bubble when, when you look at them. They're a bubble playoff team. They need stellar goaltending in order to make the playoffs. And they need performances like this from Shesterkin. And that's what people expect from him. Now, do they? is it realistic to expect him to make 45 saves a night? No. Is it realistic to expect them to give them a chance to win on most nights? Yes. And so that's the capsule of what, what I've been thinking about, Igor. He's a goaltender I think they can ride, and I uh, expect him to play in Nashville. I think it, depending on the workload in Nashville Thursday night, since they have a fairly quick turnaround and play Saturday afternoon then in Ottawa, maybe Georgiev goes on Saturday afternoon. But, you know, I would expect Shesterkin to be used like a, like a workhorse. I, I, I really expect that, I, and, I, and I would hope that he's up to it. But even though we've talked about this, Gerard Gallant has told us as media that he – doesn't want to do, you know, back to back. And we've looked back at his, how he's handled goaltenders in the past. And even when he had clear number ones in Florida with Roberto Luongo and in Vegas with Marc-Andre Fleury, he still opted to go for the goaltending tandem. And he said that he's going to do that here too with, with Georgiev. So I, I wrote about in, in Wednesday's paper that I just don't see it as a sustainable expectation. Like you said, it's, and it's also, especially right now with the team without Ryan Strom in COVID protocol and Capo Caco on the IR, the lineup is scarce for offensive power right now. And, and Shuster can absolutely stole those two wins, but is this something that the team should be wary of? Well, I think even with Gallant, when you look back, he didn't, he didn't use his guys back to back, but he had years where Luongo in Florida and Fleury in Vegas each played six, each got 60 starts. I think it was either 60 or 61. And I think that's a fairly workable number here. I think if you're if you're looking at the season, then you you project. I think Shesterkin for between 58 and 64 starts, and that's my baseline. That's the way. Like the last seven or eight years of of Lundqvist reign, I, I you know I w- I would go into the season thinking, well, he should start between 58 and 64, and maybe if it gets to 66. But I think that's the range. I mean, clearly the Rangers need to produce more offense. Clearly they need to have the puck more. They're playing with a skeleton lineup, and and I think the fact that it appears so threadbare with only two injuries, you know, lets you know all you, all you need to know about their depth. That's really the issue here, that only two guys down, even though it is two out of six, but it's really only two guys and the Rangers have a lineup that looks like this. And so, they, you know, they, they need to get a little bit more out of their support guys. They need to get more out of Philip Heedle, but they also need to find a way somehow to bolster their forward core. And the good news on that is, is they have a ton of cap space. And so if there are players available, deals are realistic. They will not be prevented from making them because of the cap. And on the contrary, they right now are sitting pretty with the cap for this season. Again, you know, they would have to look at guys who maybe are on one-year deals. That will not be a problem for them this year. But, you know, we'll see. If if Strom is back next couple of games, Cackle maybe next Monday, you know, they'll look a little bit different again. But 
but that's something they need to address. That kind of leads me into my next question, Larry. Just like you said, it, the lineup is is a skeleton of what it is, even with just two top six players out of the lineup. And I feel like particularly with Strom on, in COVID protocol, it's shown early on how thin the Rangers are down the middle. And I asked Galan if there were any discussions on moving Barkley Goudreau to center, and he said no. And and he's their utility guy and, and has told us he's comfortable at both wing and center. So that's why I asked. And I'm just curious how, how you see how they've shuffled the lines and also the decision not to put Morgan Barron in the lineup, you know, with their center situation. And obviously I know that they feel comfortable, I guess, with a guy like Greg McKegg, but I, I'm curious just how you saw that lineup decision make. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I have to say that I haven't seen Morgan. I did not see Morgan Barron play in the in the American League. I saw him, you know, I saw him at training camp. Saw him in a number of exhibition games. So I, I will allow that they know more about him than I do. You know, <laughs> I'll, I, I'll permit it. I know, I, you know, okay. But it, I, to me, it was disappointing that he did not play in uh, Toronto. I, I understand. Like oh, every coach, every coach is is going to fall back on being as conservative and defense oriented as possible. Certainly, and, and certainly when you have a couple of your top offensive guys down, I kind of get the let's go with Greg McKay and Kevin Rooney as the third and fourth line centers. Actually, reverse Rooney and McKay, but you get the idea. I, I don't like the concept of going to two fourth line centers. I, I really don't. I would like to see Barron play. I hope he plays in Nashville. They need to create more offense. He's not 19. You know, he's he's you know he's a fairly experienced guy playing in playing at school, had a really good second half last year in Hartford. I'd like to see him move up. And and honestly, what I would like to see, if he can acclimate himself to the pace, and that's what I've, you know, that's what I've been told is the concern. Can he, can he, does his game translate to NHL pace? But let's also find out because, if, no, really, you know, let's try and find out. And now they have an opportunity to find out too. You know, they do have a couple of injuries, so this is an opportunity for him, but it's also an opportunity for them to learn a little bit more about him. And, and I've said this from really from over the summer, and we talked about it on, on one of the first shows, that I've never seen their third line as making sense to me. And what I would like to see when Strom comes back, I would like to see Barron in the middle of the third line with Hedl on the right and Goodrow on the left. That's, you know, that to me is what I would, that's what I would like to see when they're back healthy. And they have their top six and Cal and Strom are back. I would like to see Barron in the middle of the third line. And I'd like to see Heat along on right side. That's what I would like to see. I'm, I'm not sure whether Gallant will take my advice or Chris Drury's. You know, that, that remains to be seen. But that's really that's really what I like. To your point about their center, yeah. Somehow they have gotten into this spot where they have they spent years kind of neglecting that center position, which is, you know, I mean, how many times can you express your surprise at it? It, it? it really doesn't make sense. That's an area of organizational concern. And you can see how concerning it is when Ryan Strom goes down for two games and they really have nobody to step up. And even if you want to say, OK, well, they have Heedle stepping up, then they have no one stepping up to the Heedle spot. So that's an area they, you know, the, the organization has to address. You know, the last couple of drafts, I understand, you know, when you get to a certain spot, the Rangers had a chance to draft three or four you're pretty highly regarded centers a couple of years ago, but instead they traded up to draft 
Braden Schneider, who they love. So you're not critical of that decision. They just made those kinds of decisions so many times not to take a center that it's left them in this position, which is kind of untenable, honestly. You, you, can't, you, you can't have this kind of a center pipeline. They need to bolster that whichever way they can at this point. Larry, I want to uh, continue talking about players and lines and who should play with whom. I saw something in last game that Gallant did going into the third period because they weren't generating enough chances. So he put Panarin, Zabinajad, and Kreider on a line. And I'm thinking, would this work? Would the Rangers be able to put stack up one line, similar to what Boston does and certain teams do? Could they get away with, assuming Strom comes back, Kako comes back, is it possible for them to put those three together? Could They could be a real threat out there on a regular basis. Do you see that as being something that's possible? I think it's possible, and I think it would perhaps work on a short-term basis, but I don't see it as a long-term solution. I like the fact that with Zibanejad on one line and Panarin on the other, that you force the opposition into choosing their matchups. You know, they've got to make the decision. Do they want their top pair against Panarin? Do they want their top pair against Zibanejad? Are they going to put their checking line? Are they going to split their checking line in their top pair? Or are they going to play the top, you know, their top five against one of those top two lines? So I think it's a short-term solution when they can't generate, when they're not generating offense. But I, I don't like it as a long-term proposition. And, and the second reason I don't really like it is, is if you have Kreider, Panarin, and Zibanejad at the top, then you're asking Strom to play between Kako and Lafreniere. Do you want Lafreniere and Kako together? Do you want the kids together? And do you want them playing with Ryan Strom? And, and, and that's not a knock against Ryan Strom. It sounded like it, but it's not. Do you want Strom to have the responsibility of playing with these two kids instead of splitting them up is probably a better way to say. And I, I would rather see Lafreniere playing with Zibanejad, and I would rather see uh, Kako playing with Strom. And, and, I, and, and again, the Panarin-Strom connection is so strong that I I just don't see the reason to break it up. Certainly not two weeks into the season. Well, you make a good point because I'm watching uh, Lafreniere. He's probably had his best game as a New York Ranger in Montreal. A family there playing in Montreal, of course. He had a hop in his step and you could see it. He's excited. But you could be excited and it may not produce good results. He looked like he took his game to another level. But part of it is he's playing with a right-handed centerman and Zabinajad, who's getting him the puck. That's his first look, right? So I wouldn't want to break that up. But your thoughts on Lafreniere and what you've seen? Because my thought was after the Montreal game, what are we going to see in Toronto? Is he going to be that same guy? What is he going to be in the next near future? So what are your thoughts on him and how he's progressing? Well, what I like about him playing with Zibanejad, too, you know, now that I'm giving you a little more thought, is that when Zibanejad is going, which is most nights, he forces Lafreniere to stay with that pace. I mean, he accelerates the pace. The way, you know, Mika can carry the puck when he's going from one end one end of the ice to the other, he forces, you know, Lafreniere to keep up with him. I think that when, when Mika is going, Lafreniere is going too. He needs a lot of pace in his game, Lafreniere. That's, that's the one, I think, issue that I've seen with him is that, you know, first of all, he's not a great skater. He, he's not, and he needs work on his skating. And I'm sure he will continue to work on his skating in off seasons going forward. But I, I think the pace that Zvanajed plays with demands that he keep up. I think he's still, you know, he's he's a work in progress. 
I think has a, has a great hockey IQ. I think he reads the game extremely well. He just needs to get into more open spaces. I think he needs to present himself and and be there. I'd like to see him shoot a little bit more. I don't I don't know that I you know I could actually recall seeing him take too many shots you know from the circle. But they haven't had the puck very much either. So I I think it's difficult to assess him off the first four games because of the way the last two games went. But I think he's made progress. He's go- he's going to be a very very good player. The, the question is is he going to be an elite player? Is he going to be a very good player? You know that's yet to play out. Larry, when you talk about puck possession, often the Rangers don't have as much because they're losing faceoffs. Molly addresses this in her last <laughs> article, and and she makes a mention that they actually brought someone in, an official, to help them on faceoffs, and it hasn't gotten any better. So. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they actually need to go out and get someone to help on faceoffs? Because when you think about, when you look at a game, puck possession is important, especially when you're losing faceoffs and the defensive end. When you're defending, you lose a faceoff, boy, there's shots that are coming at your goaltender. So do you think it's something they need to address or they just need to hire someone else to help on faceoffs? It's baffling to me because this is this is an ongoing problem. It's been year after year after year that the centers change, the faceoff results don't. I mean, they have some of the worst team faceoff percentages of all time over the last eight to ten years. And again, they had this when they had Stepan. You know, they had this when they had Broussard. They had this when they had Kevin Hayes. And, and then there was the next group. And now it's this group. And what I think, and, and this is what I wrote actually immediately after last season, is that I do not understand why they do not have a faceoff coach. I just don't get it, honestly. You have a goaltending coach, and you point out, as you point out, Ronnie, how important this facet of the game is. What is stopping the Rangers from hiring a coach simply to de- you know, dedicate it to working on faceoffs? I don't get it. They obviously have the money. And, you know, this has gone through every general manager they've had. They will not hire a face-off coach. And I don't understand it. That's my solution. And when you and I'm talking about a face-off coach, wouldn't just be working with the centers, obviously, because we all know it's not just on the centers. But, you know, they'd be working with the wingers. How to jump. This is unsustainable. You talk about. But it goes on year after year after year. And the organization, I do commend jury from bringing in, you know, Pierre Rassico, but that was two or three days in training camp. You know, obviously they need a refresher course. Why they wouldn't hire an assistant coach to work on face-offs is beyond me. All right, Larry. Well, thanks for all your insight as always, and we'll chat again next week. Okay, guys. Take care. Episode 60 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. Do us a solid and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We will return next Thursday. Thanks for listening and enjoy the Ranger games.